Hello, and welcome back to Jason Eli's Stories to Get Stoned By. In case you're wondering what happened to your boy up here, well, let's just say my touring duties with the band got in the way a little bit. Now that you're settling down to a dull roar, we're bringing you season two. You never know what you might quite get out there. Remember, if you'd like to sponsor and become a friend of 420, check me out over there on the redcircle.com or follow around and get to the Patreon account and throw your boy a shekel. We're going to be doing these once again every Sunday morning at 420, so make sure to stay tuned and tell your friends about Jason Eli's stories to get stoned by. From please and thank you to knowing which fork to use at a dinner party, manners are important. But back when etiquette reigned supreme, there were more than a few do's and don'ts that now seem... Well, utterly insane. From women wearing their hair to the right way to behave at a wedding, we're breaking down the weirdest etiquette advice from the past 100 years. But there's always one piece of etiquette that we do have to stand by. Please pass on the left-hand side. It's stories to get stoned by. In the Victorian era, etiquette was a must for any wedding. A bride had to have bridesmaids of a similar age, no wrinkles allowed. Any woman over a certain age was considered unsuitable to stand next to the bride. These rules might seem strange today, but back then it was a very serious matter. Bridesmaids had to match the bride in every way. That meant the same age, same height, same dress, and same hairstyle. A Gentleman's Guide to Cigar Etiquette. From lavish dinner parties to intimate gatherings, cigar etiquette has been a cornerstone of the Victorian-era gentleman's code of conduct. A gentleman would never light up in front of a lady. It was considered a faux pas for a lady to even attempt to strike up a conversation with a man who would already started puffing on his cigar. After all, if he was forced to put it out, it would be a waste of a perfectly good stogie. Such rules like these may seem quite outdated, but, well, at least they make for interesting historical lessons. In the 1890s, it was improper to ask a direct question. Victorians found it incredibly rude to ask a direct question. Instead of asking someone, how are you doing, a polite person would reword the question to something along the lines of, I hope you're doing well. In 1869, Cassil's Household Guide hit bookstores, describing the social do's and don'ts of Victorian life. One of the most frowned upon acts of the era was the cut, or the act of not acknowledging someone you know if see them on the street. Described as the most ill-mannered act possible to commit in society at the time, this behavior is still seen today. Whether we're avoiding a person from our past or simply don't have the time to stop and chat, the act of cutting is still alive in the 21st century, despite the consequences that may have been more severe in Victorian times. Blocked on Facebook means blocked in real life nowadays. In the 1880s, 
a lady shouldn't have more than one glass of champagne. The British Manual, The Habits of Good Society, a handbook of etiquette for ladies and gentlemen, says that the proper ladies should only accept one glass of champagne. Anything more or less would be improper. Keep your hands still. According to social norms in the 1800s, any mannerism or gesticulation while having a conversation could get you compared to a fifth-rate comedian. Although we may not think twice about slipping away without saying goodbye these days, in the Victorian era, such an action was considered an utmost faux pas. Those invited to a party were expected to express their gratitude to their host before departing, no matter how much they yearn for an escape. This particular custom is now known as the Irish goodbye, and its origins remain a mystery, even to this day. Fun outdoors? No way! It's hard to believe, but there was a time not too long ago where women were expected to keep their joy and laughter behind closed doors. In the early 20th century, it was considered inappropriate for women to have fun and enjoy themselves outdoors. A walk in the park? Sure. Anything else like laughing, talking, and having a good time with friends? That was definitely frowned upon. The strict social rules of the time meant that women had to be demure and respectful in public, reserving the real fun for private moments. Also in the 1880s, a woman should never wear her hair up. A woman was expected to look fresh, polished, and composed for her husband at all times. In Victorian times, that meant her hair must be worn up, except when in the privacy of her own bedchamber. Follow corn protocol. According to Amy Vanderbilt, a so-called authority on etiquette back in the 50s, if you're chowing down on corn on the cob for dinner, you'll need to make sure you plan plenty of extra time to butter and eat only one row of kernels at a time. A Victorian guide to being fashionably late. Show up 15 minutes late to every party. In the Victorian era, being fashionably late was the norm. Guests knew that they should arrive 15 minutes after the specified time on their hearty invitation, and they should wait in the drawing room until dinner was ready. This practice was widely accepted and was seen as polite to arrive a bit late. Today, while it's still not the most polite thing to arrive too early, being fashionably late is no longer the norm. It is important to show up on time, or at least a few minutes late. Date around while in a relationship. Before modern couples began dating for longer lengths of time instead of quickly making their way down the aisle, it was considered perfectly fine to accept a date with someone even while you were going steady with someone else. In fact, it was considered snobbish to exclude yourself to only one partner. A lady never carries her dress with two hands when crossing the street 
it was expected that a lady would carry her dress in her right hand, lifted outward and to the right. Now, this method ensured that only the appropriate amount of ankle was exposed. Avoid unpleasant fragrance experiences. Use subtle cologne application. Long gone are the days when following Victorian etiquette rules meant wearing just a dab of cologne. In the past, too much of a good thing could lead to serious social consequences. Today, you can feel free to spritz away without fear of disapproval. Children should never contradict. One of the many rules a child was expected to follow in the age of being seen and not heard was to keep their opinions to themselves. It was considered disagreeable for a child to contradict anyone for any reason. Don't brag about seeing the opera. Not because they were afraid of having the ending spoiled for them like we have with modern films. This was actually meant not to ostracize anyone who wasn't able to afford the ticket or simply had no interest in that form of entertainment. Ditch the karaoke night and head back to the Victorian era where singing was an art form. You could sing your heart out at a Victorian party. Singing was a monumentous affair with ladies expected to perform one or two songs and no more. In the 1890s, it was believed that women should only give handmade gifts. The Victorian rules around courting were especially bizarre, but nothing more than the era's gift etiquette between a couple. A woman could only give a man a gift if he gives her one first, and even then, women should only reciprocate with an inexpensive or handmade gift. Calling cards are to be left by women. Calling cards were used in the Victoria era to let a friend or family member know you visited him while they weren't home. Of course, these cards come with myriad rules to follow, including that it was primarily the woman's job to leave the cards. These days, you only meet the parents when things start to get really serious. In the 1950s, however, it was customary for the girls to introduce all dates to their parents first before they were allowed to go out. If you were a girl going on a first date with a boy, the boy was expected to pick you up from home and meet your parents for inspection when a boy picked up a girl at her house. Are you supposed to ring the doorbell? Sitting in the car and honking the horn was a big no-no, so it would be texting, Hey, babe. I'm outside. Don't be too playful with your newborn. Experts advise parents not to be overly affectionate with their babies, even going as far as recommending parents not play with them until they're four to six months old so as not to spoil the newborn. No hand-holding allowed. Romance of the Victorian era had its own special set of rules. One of the Workiest customs? Couples had to keep a strict distance between themselves when out courting. This meant that a gentleman could only extend his arm to a woman of high society if she was at risk of stepping in an unseen puddle. Refrain from 
in pure thoughts, especially of pregnant. <laughs> the purity of thoughts was a big thing during the Victorian era, but even in 1910, parenting experts led mothers to believe that it was their ugly thoughts that led to conditions like colic, and an old wives' tale said that refraining from said thoughts would lead to a, a beautiful baby. Do you ever feel like you would love to break something without consequence? Well, if you were visiting someone's house during the Victorian era, you were in luck. According to the rules of etiquette, if you broke something in your guest's home, you were not supposed to acknowledge it, and your host was equally out of line to point it out. It was as if the mistake never happened. <laughs> Talk about a free pass to act like a wild child. Wedding guests must bring admittance cards? It wasn't necessary to RSVP to an invitation, but couples who held ceremonies in the city would send out cards that gain guests admittance to the church on their big day. In the 1920s, well, keep on ignoring that baby. Even well into the 1920s, parenting experts like John Watson still told parents to never hug or kiss their child and to leave them in the crib as much as possible if they didn't want them to be spoiled. This was meant to build strong character in the child. Watson wrote in the psychological care of the infant and child. In the 1930s, it was noted that women should use flowers to attract men. A few handy tips for college-bound women were shared in a 1938 issue of Mademoiselle, like have your mom send flowers to your dorm room so that your male peers will think you are in demand. The magazine also suggested turning out the lights in your room at night so that people will think you aren't home even if you are. Proper hair care requires excessive brushing. It was recommended for women in the 1940s to put in at least 100 strokes a night for a shining halo and keep brushing until your scalp tingles. That's according to the 1944 etiquette book, Future Perfect, a guide to personality and popularity for the junior miss. The salt and pepper shaker must remain together. Separating the salt from the pepper is a big etiquette no-no. Instead, one should pass the two spices as a couple, even if the person asked for just one. You should smile when talking on the phone. The phone was a relatively new form of technology in the 1940s. According to expert Bernice Morgan Bryan, proper phone etiquette meant speaking clearly into the phone and adding a smile, even though they can't see you. People should also never bark into the phone with phrases like, Who is it? What do you want? <laughs> ah, the 1940s. Also, in the 1940s, a lady wasn't expected to be able to 
hold her liquor. According to Vogue's 1948 Book of Etiquette, the ability to have more than a few drinks was not a good thing back in the day. As the book claims, she can certainly hold her liquor is not a compliment. So does that mean a woman should refrain from drinking, or should she just hide how much she's actually drinking from those around her? In the 1950s, the host always served the meat. In a house without a maid, <gasps> guests should look to the host to serve the meat and then pass along each plate to the guests seated to their right until everyone is served. Here's an outdated 1950s etiquette rule that a lot of people never knew existed. While it's common for ladies to go first in most social situations, this never applied to entering the back seat of a car. A gentleman would open the door for the lady and step in front of her and enter the back seat of the car first, leaving her to close the car door. Why? Well, because more often than not, the lady was wearing a dress and it's difficult to slide graciously to the other side of the back seat of a vehicle in a dress. Cut asparagus in half before eating it. Traditionally, the vegetable was known in British society as finger food. However, in Emily Post's 1975 revision of her etiquette book, she suggests cutting your stock in half before picking it up to avoid the ungraceful appearance of a bent stalk of asparagus falling limply into someone's mouth and the fact that moisture is also likely to drip from the end. Once again, avoid the ungraceful appearance of a bent stalk of asparagus falling limply into someone's mouth and the fact that moisture is also likely to drip from the end. In the 1950s, crackers weren't appropriate for every meal. According to a film on table manners made by the Emily Post Institute, which features Emily herself, she says croutons are to be sprinkled onto soup while crackers are meant to be crumbled. Oh, and crackers are only meant to be served with dishes like clam chowder or oyster stew. Cut up your salad before you eat it. Yes, even salads required strict guidelines. Try first to cut your salad with your fork, but if you find it difficult, calmly pick up your knife and use it, advised Bernice Morgan Bryant in her 1944 etiquette book. Eat as quietly as possible. We all know it's impolite to speak with food in your mouth, but Emily Post's advice in this 1947 article is to avoid all conversation and drinks while eating, which seems a bit much if you ask me. Men should escort women on their left. When a man escorted a woman in medieval times, it was on his left arm so that if danger arose, his sword arm or his 
right arm would be free for combat. Although this sounds outdated, it's still considered proper etiquette today and was very closely followed in the 1950s. One should respond to invitations as soon as possible. It was considered impolite to leave an invitation, especially for a date, up in the air. The proper response was to let the person know right then and there if you can attend or not, which definitely would not fly today in today's world of text invites. A woman never pays the bill on a date. It was unheard of and impolite for a woman to offer money while on a date. The most important piece of dating etiquette during this time was that the man always paid the bill. You should send your daughters to Charm School. The Sears Discovery Charm School was busy turning young girls into refined ladies in the 60s and 70s, teaching them subjects like exercise and diet, voice, speech, modeling, skin care, grooming, makeup, fashion, and manners, according to a pamphlet from the school, of course, the Sears Discovery Charm School. In the 1960s, experts had an interesting etiquette rule. Use your right hand for social interactions and your left hand for personal use, such as coughing. It might seem strange, but hygiene was a priority back then, and this was their way of keeping people, well, safe. And speaking of right hands, the classic handshake etiquette of the 1960s. The 60s were a time of proper handshakes, not just a friendly wave of the hand. The etiquette of the decade advised people to meet in the middle of the space between them and at elbow height. The move was meant to be quick and firm, with the intention of getting back to business as soon as possible. The proper handshake was a sign of respect and seen as a way to make a good impression. The next time you go to shake someone's hand, remember, the classic handshake etiquette of the 1960s is still alive and well today. Never take more than one bite of food at a time. It would be considered improper to struggle with a mouthful of food. Any of the table manner etiquettes from the 1950s would tell you to take only one mouthful of food on your fork at a time. In the 1960s, practically everyone smoked cigarettes. If you were a man who didn't, odds are you still carried cigarettes on you because it was the gentlemanly thing to do. Everyone had their go-to brand, and if a woman was lighting up beside you, it was considered rude not to lend her light. In the 1950s and 60s, there were a lot of do's and don'ts for a woman to follow, including how to position her arms. In an instructional guide, a woman is advised not to let her hands hang straight to her sides as it distracts from her silhouette and was called dead fish hands. 
In the 1960s, women should always be addressed first. Even introducing someone in the 60s came with a rule book. It was considered good manners to introduce the woman first when addressing a man and a woman. If it's two women, the honor goes to the eldest woman. Don't hold drinks in your right hand. Gotta keep that right hand free. It was considered rude and impolite to hold your drink or handbag with your right hand as your social hand once again was meant for mingling with fellow party guests. Men should always enter dark rooms first. Although etiquette states that a lady should always be the first in a room, if the room is dark, a man is supposed to enter first to avoid fire-breathing dragon. If you were a guest at a 1960s dinner party, you better have a few words up your sleeve. Anything from a heartfelt thank you to a lovely limerick. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what you say, according to the Calvert Party Encyclopedia, but it was a major faux pas for the cat to get your tongue. Discuss the bill before it arrives? As we said before, the status quo used to be that a man always paid the bill and a woman never offered. But as time changed in the 1970s, so did this. According to Emily Post, if a woman was in the position where she could pay, it was best that she worked it out at the beginning of the meal so as not to emasculate the man. This rule was dictated in Post's 1969 edition of her etiquette book and was created to help women and men navigate the liberation movement of the 1970s. In the 80s, cell phones should be answered with discretion. Now, cell phones served as a new divisive new technology and with them, of course, new rules of etiquette followed. One question on everyone's mind, to answer the phone while you're in the shower or not. The overwhelming response to this question, according to New York Times piece, is absolutely not. Don't forget to add an email sign-off. When computers became commonplace in the 80s and emails went mainstream, it was rude not to sign off on a message. <laughs> Nowadays, sent from my iPhone usually suffices that in the early days, people would always use the phrase like, electronically yours at the end of the message. Make sure you send the appropriate flowers for the occasion. The custom of sending a bouquet of flowers originated with Charles II of Sweden in the 18th century, but over the time a flower's color has become heavily associated with the occasion, such as red roses for romantic partners and white roses for sympathy. Anything outside of the norm would be well, impolite. I hope you enjoyed this week's missive of Jason Eli's stories to get stoned by. You never know what you might get over here, huh? <laughs> Outdated etiquette. Oh, here's to progress. And speaking of progression, we're back in a swing of thing, guys. So 
Every Sunday morning at 420, you're going to get brand new episodes of Jason Eli's Stories to Get Stoned By. And if you'd like to help sponsor out and throw the man a shekel or two, please check me out over there, Red Circle as well, or you can find the Patreon account and yeah, just be a proud supporter of 420. And that being said, guys, we're going to see you back bright and early, 420 next Sunday morning. It's Jason Eli's Stories to Get Stoned By.